and bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration and this week we'll be discussing Little Me. If the girl, boom, boom, and the boy, boom, boom, and they get together and they both, boom, boom, say la grande, boom, boom, et la grande, boom. That's the one, boom, boom, for me. Oh, a stray, boom, boom, occasionally may prove a gay, boom, boom, and carry you away. But the prime, boom, boom, that's sublime, boom, boom, won't be true, not if you, all the time, boom, boom, what I mean is my chérie. Save la grande, boom, boom, for me. But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode finds you well. We do have a lot to cover here in this opening segment. Ooh, I do say it is jam-packed. I want to start by addressing a couple of snafus from our last episode, which was all about on the 20th century. I made some errors I did regarding the 2015 Broadway revival cast album of on the 20th century. The track I cited as an anthology of woman is actually known as an anthology of womankind. And the track I cited as I had to do it to save her is actually I had to do it to save you. Whoopsie doodle. Ooh, my bottom is pink because I'm spanking myself. Okay. Shifting the tone of the segment drastically, I would like to pay our respects to 91-year-old Christopher Plummer, who passed away this week. Mr. Plummer's Broadway credits included Cyrano, Othello, Macbeth, King Lear, and Inherit the Wind. Film and television credits? Are you kidding me? There are 217 of them to choose from. The Sound of Music, The Return of the Pink Panther, Star Crash, David the Gnome, An American Tale, Hello Madeline Kahn, Dragonette, Rockadoodle, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, Madeline, Twelve Monkeys, Babes in Toyland, The Insider, A Beautiful Mind, Nicholas Nickleby, National Treasure, Alexander Syriana, The New World, Inside Man, The Lake House, Up, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, Beginners, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, All the Money in the World, and Knives Out, Rest in Peace, Mr. Plummer, my goodness, we are better off for having had you in our lives. And we close out this opening segment with a question from a listener and patron, Sydney. Hello, Sydney. Sydney asks, would you ever want to do a series, I assume Sydney means a Patreon series, where you discuss specific revivals of Broadway musicals. Now, I've definitely considered revisiting Kiss Me Kate, as the cast album for the 2019 Broadway revival had not yet been released when we began the podcast. But in general, I do my best to address any and all revivals within a certain musical's main feed episode, and the Patreon series are used to spotlight material we would not normally cover on the main feed. If I'm going to cover Fiddler on the Roof, for example, I want to talk about all of the associated cast albums and variations within that main feed episode. Really make a meal of it. The episodes on Fiddler on the Roof and The King and I are going to be gigantic. I can say that. So much to talk about. I hope that addresses your question in a wonderful way, Sydney. I hope that answer to your wonderful question was appropriately wonderful. And now we are going to get the show facts for this week's subject, Little me, show me the show facts, let's do it. Little Me was a 1963 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on November 17, 1962 at the Lantfontaine Theater and ran for 257 performances. The book was written by Neil Simon, the music was written by Cy Coleman, and the lyrics were written by Carolyn Lee. The musical is based on the 1961 Patrick Dennis novel Little Me, the intimate memoirs of that great star of stage 
screen and television Belle Poitrine. The book, which satirized confessional autobiographies, featured 150 photographs from Chris Alexander. These images helped to flesh out the life of Little Me's imaginary celebrity subject, Belle Poitrine, which in English means pretty bosom. Actress Jerry Archer appeared in the photos as Belle, alongside such figures as Patrick Dennis's wife, Louise, Chris Alexander's partner, Sean O'Brien, Dodie Goodman, Alice Pierce, and Kurt Bieber. As a reminder, Patrick Dennis also wrote Anti-Mame, which inspired its own musical, Brigadoon. I'm kidding. Mame! It was Mame! The directors of the original Broadway production of Little Me were Cy Fuhrer and Bob Fosse. The musical director, Charles Sanford. Choreographer, Bob Fosse. Hello, Bob. Scenic design, Robert Randolph. Lighting design, Robert Randolph. Sound design, no sound design, N.A. Costume design, Robert Fletcher. And the original Broadway cast included Sid Caesar, Nancy Andrews, Gretchen Cryer, Nancy Cushman, Mickey Deems, Joey Fay, Harris Hawkins, Mark Jordan, Mort Marshall, Elsie Olufsen? Elsie Olufsen? Let's go with that. I apologize, as always, for mispronouncing any of these names. Adnia Rice, John Sharp, Swen Swenson? Swen Swenson? What a wonderful name. And Peter Turgeon. Okay, Tony Knotts. Tony Knotts. The production won Best Choreography, Bob Fosse, but it was additionally nominated for the following Tony Awards. Best Musical, of course, but also Best Author of a Musical, Neil Simon. Best Composer and Lyricist, Cy Coleman and Carolyn Lee. Best Actor and a musical, Sid Caesar. Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Swen Swenson. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Virginia Martin. Best Costume Design, Robert Fletcher. Best Direction of a Musical, Cy Fuhrer and Bob Fosse. And Best Producer of a Musical, Cy Fuhrer and Ernest H. Martin. So, ten nominations in total, one award at the end of the night. It is now time for us to break down the plot of Little Me. We open on Belle Poitrine as she dictates her life story to world-famous author Patrick Dennis. That's right, Patrick Dennis is once again a character in a musical based on his work. It's true. Belle has led a fascinating life filled with romance and heartache, and it all began in the town of Venezuela, Illinois. The dividing line between rich and poor was harshly drawn in Venezuela, with the former living it up on the bluff, while the latter toiled away on Drifter's Row. As a young girl from the wrong side of the tracks, Belle always dreamed of moving to the bluff, and that dream nearly came true when she fell in love with Noble Eggleston. Noble was a high society boy, but his high society mother, Miss Eggleston, did not approve of Belle, and so our heroine vowed to transform herself into a respectable woman. I will now switch from using the past tense to the present tense because, uh, well, that's just how I roll, baby. Belle sets off on her quest and encounters Mr. Amos Pinchley, the unspeakably rich miser who has long kept the people of Drifter's Row under his thumb. Pinchley is inspired by Belle's kind heart and vows to change. He had been planning to shoot himself on his birthday, but to heck with that. Life is worth living! Belle embraces the old man, which causes the gun in his pocket to go off. Pinchley dies. KO! And our heroine is accused of murder, though she is acquitted with the aid of her one true love, Noble. Theatrical producers Benny and Bernie Buxbaum encourage Belle to capitalize on her criminal reputation and become a vaudeville star, but when she proves to have no talent, they dump her for another flash in the pan. Belle then takes a job as a camera girl at a CD club. She meets the eccentric performer Val Duval and learns that Noble is set to marry a rich girl named Ramona. Devastated, Belle tries to commit suicide by leaping from the roof, but she is rescued in the nick of time by Val Duval. Shortly thereafter, Belle discovers the owner of the club is George, an old friend from Drifter's Row. They spend an intimate night together, and Belle becomes pregnant. Hachi machi! World War I is in full swing when Belle meets Fred Poitrine, a nearsighted French soldier who mistakes her pregnancy for excess weight. You know how you do. They marry shortly before Fred is sent back to France 
Alliance, where he dies after losing a finger to his typewriter. K.O. Bell, believing Noble is in France and in danger, sets out to rescue him. Has she had the baby at this point? Yes, the baby's name is Baby, and Bell's mother is looking after her. Don't worry about Baby the Baby. Bell does not find Noble in France, at least not at first. Instead, she reunites with Val Duval, who is suffering from amnesia in the wake of a terrible breakup. Bell jogs his memory and they vow to marry, but when Noble shows up, our heroine changes her mind. This causes Val Duval to lose his memory once more. Bell is filled with guilt. How can she turn her back on the man who pulled her from the brink? Act 1 ends with Bell honoring her promise to Val Duval and rejecting the entreaties of her one true love, Noble. Act 2. Five years have passed. Bell and Val Duval are sailing on the SS Gigantic when they cross paths with Noble. Noble still loves Bell, and Bell still loves Noble after all this time. A devastating truth that causes Val Duval to lose his memory yet again. The SS Gigantic strikes an iceberg and begins to sink. Val dies as a result of not remembering how to swim. KO. And Bell reaps a fortune by suing the boat company. The Buxbaum brothers convince our heroine to finance their next movie. Movie, which she agrees to star in under the direction of Otto Schnizzler. Otto Schnizzler, yes. Otto dies while filming as a result of an accidental stabbing. K.O. The movie is a financial flop, though Belle does manage to win a prestigious acting award. Thank you very much. Meanwhile, Noble's life is turned upside down by the Great Depression. Miss Eggleston forces him to divorce Ramona when she loses all of her money. With Belle nowhere in sight, Noble begins to wonder what life has in store for him. Belle, for her part, has traveled to Europe to attain even more honor and glory. She meets the illustrious yet foolish Prince Cherny, who suffers a heart attack upon losing his nation's treasury in a bet. Belle restores the prince to health by offering up a portion of her own fortune. Cherny is ecstatic and rewards our heroine with a lofty new title, Countess Zoftig. Sadly, the prince dies. K.O. What? Why? Why did he die? He was fine. Well, our heroine gave Prince Cherny poisoned wine. I mean, come on. Belle assumed he would never recover from the heart attack. She did not want the prince to suffer. Was it murder? I mean, who's to say? Belle and Noble decide to get married once and for all. Belle is now a woman of high society, after all, and Noble is the governor of both North and South Dakota. Who could possibly object to such a union? They Toast to their future with a sip of champagne, Noble instantly becomes an alcoholic, and he is subsequently impeached. K.O. Bell marries George and moves to the bluff, where Noble appears outside their home as a drunken vestige of his former self. With encouragement from George, Noble becomes determined to redeem himself. This brings us to the present day, with Belle wrapping up her life story alongside Patrick Dennis. Baby announces her intention of marrying Noble Jr., the son Noble and Ramona had when they were once married. Miss Eggleston barges into the room with a gun. She is hell-bent on killing Belle as she blames our heroine for ruining her son's life. Speaking of Noble, he's back, sober, and understandably confused. Belle attempts to wrestle the gun away from Miss Eggleston. A single shot rings out. George falls to the ground, dead. K.O. Hooray! Belle is now free to marry her one true love. Noble may no longer be rich, but our heroine is willing to overlook that. After all, money isn't everything. The end. Much like A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, the original production of Little Me saw a single actor, in this case, Sid Caesar, playing several roles, specifically Noble, Mr. Pinchley, Val Duval, Fred Poitrine, Otto Schnizzler, Prince Cherny, and Noble Jr. These characters were split amongst Victor Garber and James Coco for the sake of the short-lived 1982 Broadway revival, while the one and only Martin Short starred in the 98 revival. For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 1962 original Broadway cast album of Little Me. I wanted, 
I wanted to listen to the 1963 original London cast album, which stars Bruce Forsyth, but unfortunately, it would seem that album is not available digitally, okay? So I did not listen to that. I did listen to the 1998 Broadway revival cast album. The orchestrations featured on the 98 recording sound fairly artificial, and the overall tone of that production is too acidic for my taste. But I would recommend this album if only for Faith Prince, who plays Belle Patrine. She is in top form here, and her vocals are guaranteed to send you reeling. However, if you are not a fan of Martin Short, I cannot in good conscience recommend the 98 album. Me, I like Martin Short. I like him. They gave him the opportunity to be an absolute shrieking maniac, and he took full advantage of it. Who could blame him? Little Me is basically a sketch comedy musical, and if the Goodbye Girl taught us anything, it's that Martin Short works best within the realm of sketch comedy. He is in no way a traditional leading man, and should thus be allowed to run amok. Finally, I watched the 1999 Tony Awards performance of the song Boom Boom. There are three separate, three separate YouTube uploads of this performance, all of which feature a questionable video and audio quality. To make matters worse, Martin Short's mic is practically exploding throughout most of the routine, though he does eventually receive a handheld substitute. His reaction, who would like to hear it again, is priceless. We should also take a moment to marvel at the dancers and their death drop splits. Boom, boom, indeed, ladies, my goodness. Overture is a delightful composition on the part of Cy Coleman. It invokes a number of melodies from the score while evoking an aesthetic and a landscape that stands apart from the material it represents. To be more precise, the overture calls to mind a picture postcard version of New York City. Glittering skyscrapers and parks brimming with wildlife, tourists and natives skating side by side at the Rockefeller ice rink, and a frosty nip in the air made bearable by the presence of a golden sun. This is a metropolitan overture. This is an overture that celebrates motion and breath and the thrill of choice. You won't find that buoyant sense of life in the 1998 overture, which sounds smaller, cheaper, and strangely self-conscious. More like the reference demo you would receive from Music Theater International than a proper rendition. Sad? Yes. True? Also, yes. The all-revealing truth. The mass-appealing truth. The blunt-congealing truth. The irregardless truth. The truth. The truth. As through a haze, I see a double daze, and shining in a window full of Arthur Miller plays. The truth. The truth. The book that's bound to be prohibited from passage through the mail, but nonetheless on sale throughout the land and printed by demand in Esperanto Japanese. 
differences between the original 1963 production of Little Me and its 1998 counterpart. Chief among them is the fact that during its initial run on Broadway, the role of Belle was split between two actresses. Nancy Andrews played Belle in the present day, while Virginia Martin played the younger version of the character. It's a fun concept that pays off splendidly in the second act, but the 98 revival does away with that to ensure all of its focus is on Faith Prince. And I get that, I do. You don't cast someone on the level of a faith prince, only to relegate them to the role of occasional narrator. What I don't necessarily agree with is the removal of The Truth, which served as the opening number back in 63. I wouldn't say I'm in love with the number, I wouldn't go to the mat for it if push came to shove, but there's a nice strain of plucky humor here that ought to have been preserved. Moving Little Me's title number from its original position in Act 2 to the top of the show now now that's a true blue mistake, one I will address momentarily. But first, allow me to quote this scrumptious set of lyrics from Carolyn Lee. Quote, All hail to little me, the book that's bound to be prohibited from passage through the mail, yet nonetheless on sale throughout the land, and printed by demand in Esperanto, Japanese, and Braille. Quote, I like it. I am a fan. Carolyn. Hello, Carolyn. I am also a fan of references that require require research on my part. I like research. And the truth cites a number of notable figures who deserve our attention. There is Gypsy Rosalie, of course, author of the 1959 memoir Gypsy, which inspired the Stein Sondheim musical, but also Marcel Proust, author of the 1871 novel In Search of Lost Time. Actress Mary Astor, who produced two memoirs in her lifetime, My Story in Autobiography in 1959, and a Life on Film in 1971. The Gabor sisters, Magda, Zsa and Ava. David Herbert Lawrence, author of the 1928 novel Lady Chatterley's Lover. Brendan Behan, an Irish poet who also produced two memoirs, 1958's Borstal Boy and 1965's Confessions of an Irish Rebel. Henry David Thoreau, the transcendentalist who authored the 1849 essay Civil Disobedience. Geneva philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who published Discourse on Inequality in 1755 and The Social Contract in 1762, and Harriet Beecher Stowe, author of the 1852 novel Uncle Tom's Cabin. There are also references to a Luella and a Casey Stendhal, but I'm not clear on those particular sources. I try my best! But my heart says reach for the stars And my heart I cannot deny Though it's my hard luck That I'm sort of stuck on the farthest one in the sky So my eyes are destined to wander And my brain no more to relax For there's nothing for
There is always room in a comedy for genuine emotion, full stop. I do not care how broadly your characters are drawn, I do not care how outlandish the terms of their situation might be, an attempt must be made to engage your audience on a human level. Songs like The Other Side of the Tracks and Somewhere That's Green do that work. They take us by the hand and say, all right, listen, you have to activate your sense of empathy right now, because this person, on stage is worthy of your compassion, and we want you rooting for them every step of the way. Look at this imperfect, goofy person. How could you not root for them? I respect and admire any musical that goes out of its way to perform this labor. The other side of the tracks actually threw me for a loop, as I had no idea it was a song that had essentially been split in half. The first part was a treat, totally winsome and soothing, but I assumed it would expand into a bolder declaration of intent, and that shift never came, I thought. Well, we're done? But we were just getting started. I was not yet aware of the reprise that awaited me further down the line, a reprise which is actually longer than the first half and provides all of the emotional payoff I could ever want. Let's hear a bit of that reprise right now. On the other side of the tracks, that is where I'm going to be. On the other side of that great divide between fame and fortune and me Gonna put my shadows behind me Give my inhibitions the axe And tomorrow morning you'll find me On the other side of the tracks On the other side of that line Where the life is fancy and free Gonna sit and fan on my fetched divan While the butler bottles the tea but for now I'm facing the fences And I can't afford to relax Cause the whole caboodle commences On the other side of the tracks So I'm off and running over the rail I'm gone gunning after the quail Off and running, send me my mail To the great big world on the other side The great big world on the farther side The great big world equivalent to Ariel's reprise of part of your world in The Little Mermaid. You start off wanting, and you wind up taking action. It's a fabulous one-two punch for your lead character, baby. Somewhere there's a darn nice fella deep down inside. <laughs> deep down inside. Deep down in the old sub-cellar somewhere Though I think he fell asleep down inside Deep down, digger, digger, deep down inside Oh, God! <laughs> you try it now oh, No, I'm, I'm ashamed Go on Well, all right, I will Sometimes I'm a darn near human deep down inside. Deep down inside, Mr. Pinchley. Deep down where the bass is booming. Sometimes gotta take that broom and sweep down inside. Sweep down, digga digga, deep down inside. Hey, I like that. Keep going. No man is a true pariah deep down inside. Deep down inside. Deep down in the old spare tire No, no man, man is a true Uriah, Uriah Deep down inside There's a love that you just can't keep down Deep down inside Deep down inside We found it, Mr. Yeah. Pinchley We found that little bit of good in you Do you, do you think do you think some people would like me? Try it and see All right, I will Junior! Did you scream, Father? Junior? How about you and me going out and having dinner together sometime? Oh, Daddy! He called me Daddy. He likes you. And I don't even like him.
after watching a number of sketches from Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows, a series that featured on the 20th century alumnus Imogene Coca, thank you very much, I've come to realize what I admire about him as a comedian. All of his characters, from the apoplectic German general to the hungry businessman, operate from a place of total humility. These are insecure people who want nothing more than a hug and a nosh, despite what their bizarre actions may imply, and that is how I would describe Caesar based on what I know of him. The guy had his demons, to say the very least, but on his best days, he was a gentle beagle of a man who exuded warmth and sensitivity. He was also a supremely cool and calm performer. You never get the sense Caesar is reaching for a laugh, and that goes a long way toward making those old routines fly. I can barely make it through your average four-minute Saturday Night Live sketch, whereas most scenes from your show of shows sail past the 10-minute mark without skipping a beat. This is all to say I admire Sid Caesar and the level of skill he brings to this week's subject. Deep Down Inside is a fantastically freewheeling number that hums with the sing-along energy of a cocktail party. You imagine everyone standing around a piano just shouting this out to the heavens. It's great. It's breezy, sunny, and silly, packed with simple yet remarkably effective harmonies. And the interplay between Mr. Pinchley and his subordinates proves to be a first-rate showcase for Sid's brand of comedy. Pinchley may be a nasty curmudgeon, but as with every Caesar persona, he wants nothing more than to love and be loved in return, Moulin Rouge. His death will only resonate if we buy his late stage transformation. And Caesar sells that change of heart effortlessly. Effortlessly. I was having trouble saying that. I had to do that a few times. A few takes. For reasons I can't quite parse out, the 98 revival alters the dialogue in this sequence. All of the changes are slight, yet none of them could be described as improvements. A few examples for you. On the OBC album, Pinchley calls out for his son by shouting, Junior! To which Junior responds, You screamed, Father! On the revival album, Junior merely says, Did you call? Not funny, not as funny, not funny at all. It's just, it's not a matter of not as funny. It's just not funny. Did you call is not funny. You screamed father, that's funny. On the OBC album, Bell encourages Pinchley by saying, see, your son likes you. To which Pinchley responds, and I don't even like him. On the revival album, Pinchley says, and I still can't stand him. This is messier to me somehow. I could go on. Oh, how I could go on. But let's leave it at that. Martin Short is, for better or worse, a completely different type of comedian when compared to the likes of Sid Caesar. The exertion Sid demonstrates in a scene is always followed by a return to stillness. He settles back into himself, thus making those sudden displays of energy resonate all the more. With Martin, you never get the sense he's winding up or biding his time. Once the fuse has been lit and the rocket takes off, there is no hope of tying him down. And like I said, I'm a fan of Martin Short, but how is anyone supposed to keep up with him? Let's hear a bit of Real Live Girl to get a sense of what I'm talking about. Get a load of this energy. Fred? Haven't you ever been kissed before? Well, I've had my face licked by my dog a few times. Oh, come on, Fred. It's easy. What do you do with the noses? One on each side. You go to the right or we'll crash. Closer, Fred. What do you do with your teeth? Your lips cover your teeth. The lips cover the teeth? Isn't nature wonderful? Don't talk anymore, Fred. I mean, I'm a ham and a half myself, but I have no idea how Short is coming up with some of these readings. What do you do with the noses is particularly psychotic and betrays a certain lack of trust in the material. We don't need to inject every line with steroids, Martin. Now let's hear a bit of Real Live Girl as represented by the OBC album, can we? Yes? Nothing can beat getting swept off your feet by a real live girl. Dream. 
Jones in your bunk don't compare with a hunk of a real life girl. Speaking of miracles, this must be it. Just when I started to learn how to knit. I'm all in stitches from finding what riches a was can reveal with a real Statues of Juno and the Venus de Milo. Milo, when the fellow wants you know, we know who wants substitutes. I'll overlook everyone in the book for a real sexy Sally or Susabelle. Goodness gracious, there are few things in this world I adore more than a gay musical theater song that is ostensibly about heterosexuality. And Real Live Girl takes the cake. Both it and South Pacific's There Is Nothing Like a Dame focus on the borderline hysterical impulses of pent-up military men, but Real Live Girl is far more ironic than its predecessor. There's talk of knitting, the soldiers are comparing women to fine works of art, and their register vacillates between an airy tenor and a self-conscious baritone. This type of coding is beyond ancient, but I feel as if I'm in on the joke this time, thankfully. Nothing elevates my eyebrows more than the following set of lyrics. Quote, I've seen photographs and and facsimiles that have set my head off in a whirl. But no work of art gets you right in the heart like a real live girl, quote. Uh, can we take a closer look at the word facsimiles? I realize they're talking about, uh, like, statues and watercolor portraits and shit, but let's be real. These guys are using each other as facsimiles, right? And they are never hooking up with a real live girl. No, no way. The women they marry will be facsimiles for men who died in their arms. Men with names like... Paul and Frank and Bobby and Miller and, I don't know, Chaucer. Why do you refuse to talk about Chaucer? Because Chaucer was the best of us, Harriet! The best of us! Oh, <laughs> Chaucer! Sympathetic ear to cheer me when I'm blue. Wipe away each little tear when there's no one left. I am not bereft. There is always little me. Old reliable when the year goes down the drain. And I haven't made a sense when I fall in love in vain. Or I give it up for Lent. Friends can fly the coop. Leave me.
As previously mentioned, the show's title song was originally positioned as an 11 o'clock number for Belle, one in which the present day and flashback versions of the character could perform side by side. The results are, in a word, stupendous. Nancy Andrews and Virginia Martin have the sort of chemistry money cannot buy, and the sentiment on display is similarly priceless. Belle knows the only person who will always be there for her is Belle. Men, they come and go, but you can always turn to yourself in times of need. And when it comes to surviving life's hardships, who better to credit than your own damn self? No one! Charity Hope Valentine could have used a number like Little Me is all I'm saying. Alright, I've been sweet and now it's time for me to be sour. Uh-oh. I do not like how the 98 revival turns Little Me into the show's opening number. Faith Prince is the only actress playing Belle as a reminder, so instead of singing to herself, the character is now singing about herself? She's not giving herself a pep talk, she is bragging about herself to a gaggle of anonymous sycophants. What was once a heartfelt opportunity for self-affirmation is now little more than a smug wank fest. And to that I say no thank you, no thank you very much. Goodbye. 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 Well, anyway, goodbye. 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 You couldn't put it off. I'd love to put it off. But then, we'd only have to do this painful scene again. So let's just say goodbye. Just goodbye, you'll nick. Goodbye, you shit. Goodbye, Sam. I'm sure gonna miss you. Goodbye, Melnick. Goodbye, Myron. Pardon my expiring. Goodbye, country. It's been fun. You know I hate to rule and run, but I must get some dying done. So everyone, goodbye. <laughs> Don't cry. I do very much enjoy Goodbye, The Prince's Farewell. I don't have any intellectual thoughts about the song, but I did write down all of the little lyrical snippets that I do enjoy. Carolyn Lee really doing a bang-up job when it comes to these lyrics. Okay, I have three little snippets here for you. Here is the first one. Goodbye, 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 we hate to see you go. To which the prince just says, well, anyway... <laughs> I like a well anyway. It's very funny to me. Here is the second snippet for you. So goodbye, you'll nick. Goodbye, Yisha. Goodbye, Sam. I'm sure gonna miss ya. Very funny rhyme. And finally, here is the third snippet for you. So sing, Natasha. You too, Bradley. Not you, Sal. You sing very badly. Funny. This is funny. It's just funny. Okay, now we're going to round out, we're going to close out our score deconstruction by listening to a bit of Here's to Us, specifically the 1998 version of Here's to Us. We're actually only going to hear dialogue from this track because I, once again, must put our attention on Martin Short. I cannot believe the line reading on this track. Okay, let's hear this. Hey, you, bum, what are you doing at that window? Oh, nothing, nothing, sir. Noble? N Noble Eggleston. Coming out of the cold, Noble Bell has been waiting for you for so long. No, no, she mustn't see me like this. A dirty, drunken old bum. These aren't even my clothes. I took them off a snowman. I mean, my God, insane. No, no, she mustn't see me like this. A dirty, drunken old bum. These aren't even my clothes. I took them off a I, I can't do it. I, can anyone do what he's doing on this track? It's insane. It's so indulgent. I would not encourage anyone to take the path of Martin Short. He is one of a kind. Do not try to copy him. I do not think you will get the same results. I do not. Now, at this point in the show, we would normally hear from our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee, but we have two musical shout-outs for you today. One for Katie and one for Sydney. Thank you so much for donating to our Patreon page. Haha, <laughs> yes, yes. Now let's get those musical shout-outs now. Now let's get them now. Now, now, now. Go. 
Now, what end of the phone do I need to be talking into? This end? All right, fine. Hello, hello there, Katie. It's me, Chauvelin, from the Scarlet Pimpernel. You'll have to excuse me. I am in a bit of a rush. I'm trying to order my lunch. I am shaking from hunger. And so I will have to combine my lunch order with your musical shout-out. I do hope that you do not mind, Katie. I'm going to be singing a favorite song of mine from the show Scarlet Pimpernel, and I do hope you enjoy it. Hello, you there behind the counter. Are you paying attention? Okay, I'm about to give you my order. Listen carefully. Marguerite Tuna. Don't forget I know who you are, Henri. We were cut from the same surly star. Extra male like two jewels in the sky sharing fire. Where's the girl? Olives so alive and still aching for more tomato. We had dreams that were worth dying for jalapeno peppers. We were caught in the eye of the storm. Come again. Pickles, let the girl in your heart tumble free. Onion, bring your renegade heart home to me. Fries in the dark of the morning. I'll warm you. Lemonade, I'll rouse you. One of those little cookies. Not a big one, just a small cookie. One of those little cookies. No, not that cookie. That's a large cookie. Small cookie. All right. Oh, I do hope you enjoyed that musical shout-out. I need to sit down. I'm going to hand the phone to my associate. He would say this is a lunch date. We are not dating. This is not official. So here you go. Just take the phone. I have to sit down. I'm so hungry. (laughs) I hope you got that order correct. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sure he did. Now, just stop yelling at the man. Oh, for God's sake. Hello, I'm talking into the phone. This is the proprietor from Assassins here to record a musical shout-out for Sydney. Hello, Sydney. I just want to tell you, Sydney, between the two of us, Armand copied my lunch order point for point. What a weirdo. And this is a lunch date. We are together no matter what he says. All right, folks, step right up. Step right up. We got ourselves a birthday here. Happy birthday, Sydney. Here's your shout-out. Everybody's got the right to a birthday. <laughs> I changed the lyrics. It's your cake. It's not as bad as it seems. Oh, everybody's got the right to a party. <laughs> Even though at times we go to extremes. Oh, remind me of what you want a lot. Remember last year when I forgot. I recall that day screams. Happy birthday, Sydney. Oh, my sandwich is here. No, Armand, that is my sandwich I ordered first. I Don't touch that. Don't you touch that sandwich. Relieve thyself of that tuna on rye before I spank you rotten. <laughs> step up. Step up. We've got a luncheon thief on our hands. Okay. Thank you very much, Sydney. Thank you very much, Kenny. I have to go. <laughs> I'm gonna smooch him. I'm gonna smooch him into oblivion. He's a naughty boy. Final thoughts regarding Little Me. You know, I tend to write off Cy Coleman, which is a very glib and haughty thing for me to do. Oh, Cy Coleman, the guy who co-wrote City of Angels. Eh, eh, what do you mean, eh? He co-wrote Wildcat, Little Me, Sweet Charity, Hello, Seesaw, I Love My Wife, On the 20th Century, Barnum, City of Angels, The Will Rogers Follies, and The Life. That is an enormous and impressive body Body of work, Jonathan. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to little me. Wait a minute. What is Welcome to the Club? Hold on. <laughs> I was not aware of this. This would appear to be the only Broadway musical for which Coleman wrote both music and lyrics. Okay, that's interesting. Let's see. Well, it ran on Broadway for 12 performances, oh boy, back in 1989, and focused on the lives of, let me see if I have this right, imprisoned alimony violators. Okay. Well, well, you know, it sounds like a gas. (laughs) I'm already cracking up. Now, in 1963, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical, I am being very serious right now, was a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, and the additional nominees that season were Oliver and Stop the World! I want to get off! 
I am not that big a fan of a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Maybe my attitude will change when we talk about it, when we when we give it a, a proper episode on the main feed. I don't know when that's going to be, but maybe my attitude will change. I'm not a big fan of the show as of right now. I will say that Little Me is a good show. I do like Little Me. I don't know if it's best musical winner material. I don't know. I don't know where I stand when it comes to this season, so I'm not going to commit. I'm not going to say whether or not a funny thing does deserved to win the Tony Award for Best Musical. I'm not going to say if we should bump it out for some other show. I'm not going to say it. You can't make me. We're going to rank Little Me against all of the other shows we have talked about here on the podcast. As a reminder, if you want to see the full ranking breakdown, follow us on Twitter at MusicalManPod. Go to our likes. The first tweet you find there in that like section, it's going to take you to a Google Sheet. All you have to do is click on the second tab of that Google Sheet. You'll see this full breakdown. Okay, so I'm going to put Little Me at number 35 between Rags at number 34 and Les Miserables at number 36. It's true. It's true. That's where little me is. Now, that could change. That could change. You never know. I actually have a lot of show-related ephemera this week. I am quite proud of myself. We are first going to hear Cy Coleman performing Witchcraft and The Best is Yet to Come on the premiere episode of Playboy's Penthouse, which aired on October 24th, 1959. Both songs were written alongside this week's lyricist, Carolyn Lee, Cy also wrote the instrumental theme for the 69 series Playboy After Dark. That's just a little bonus fact for you. Let's hear those performances now. Uh, witchcraft. Those fingers in my hair That's like come hear the stare that strips my conscience bare, it's witchcraft. And I've got no defense for it, cause the heat is too intense for it. What good would common sense for do? Cause it's witchcraft, wicked witchcraft. to transition to a little clip from the Dean Martin Show. This is Season 1, Episode 24 of the Dean Martin Show, which aired on March 3rd, 1966. This clip features Dean Martin and Sid Caesar performing Real Live Girl from Little Me alongside Abby Lane. I don't know if we will hear Abby Lane. I do think she talks a little bit here at the beginning. So let's get that now. Wasn't that nice, huh? Beautiful. I want you to meet this beautiful. No, I don't want to meet her. Oh yes. I would. No, I. I, I wouldn't. You got to meet her. And but I know she's so beautiful. I wouldn't want no one. She wants to dance with you. And she you. wants to dance with me. You've got to be fooling. No, she's coming over oh, right that's now. That's terrible. I, 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 I'm too. Oh. I want you to say. Hi. Go ahead. Say hello. To no, I don't want to. Go ahead. Hello. Oh, hello. How are you? <laughs> I don't want Pardon me, miss, but I've never done this with a real life girl. You don't have to apologize. Straight off the farm with an actual armful of a real life girl. I just love farm boys. Speaking of me. 
miracles. This must be it. Just when he started to learn how to knit, I'm simply drowned in the sight and the sound on the scent, on the feel of a real I'm available and quite femaleable. Nothing can be getting swept off your feet by a real boy that's some girl. Wonderful, wonderful. What do we have next? We have the Martin Short Show, a daytime talk show that Martin Short hosted in the 90s. This is from episode 60 of that show, which I believe only ran for a year. Episode 60 aired on December 7th, 1999, and this clip we are about to hear features Martin Short and Nathan Lane singing Bosom Buddies. Hello, Bosom Buddies from MAME, a recent subject. Hello. This clip features new lyrics and noted opportunist Mark Shaman on the piano. Let's be sure to include the nice juicy belch from Nathan Lane. Okay, great. Let's hear it. Oh my goodness, look at that. Mark, Mark Shaman, Shaman. Ladies and gentlemen. Four-time Oscar nominee. Four-time Oscar nominee. That's right. Lucky enough to be right on our sides. Well, oh, thank God. Well, Nathan, this is exciting. Well, you know, I think B. Arthur put it best, Marty. Oh, yeah, what'd she say? <laughs> thank you very much. It's good to be here. Try the beef. Now... But it's true, Nathan, I think that it's true that whatever happens, whether we work together or not, yes. I'll tell you what we'll always be. What's that? We'll always be bosom buddies, friends, partners, and pals. We'll always be bosom buddies. If I should reject you, there's me to protect you. If I say that you're looking hefty, you weigh as much as Duluth, it's, it's simply that. a stab at sitcoms. It's true. Another one lasted too long. Uh-uh. But if you don't have the valleys, Nathan, you won't relish the peaks. Yes, yes. It's true that our sitcoms were quite short-lived. Just for the record, I want to state, mine was on for almost half of the year, while yours only lasted three weeks. <laughs> oh, bite me. And rolling like Son in La Jolla, like Siegfried and Roya, Alka Seltzer and Fizzin, Robert Downey and Prison. If I say that we only booked you as we lost Dr. Root, it's simply that. Wonderful. And finally, I want to hear a little bit of the 1995 studio cast album of Breakfast at Tiffany's The Musical. This is a little bit of Faith Prince singing the song, I've Got a Penny. Let's hear it. I've got a penny, just one penny, but in my mind it grows. And I want one of those, one of those, one of those. And why shouldn't I, shouldn't I, before I die, have a place on this earth and my penny's worth of the sky? I've got a penny, one's hardly any, but line up the candy and roll. One of those, one of those, one of these To taste or to waste 
Why not? Let's get a quick history lesson on Breakfast at Tiffany's, the musical. The show was otherwise known as Holly Go Lightly, and it was set to open in 1966, with Mary Tyler Moore and Richard Chamberlain in the main roles, roles made famous by Audrey Hepburn and George Pappard. Producer David Merrick shut the musical down after four previews, telling the press he did not want to, quote, subject the drama critics and the public to an excruciating boring evening. Quote, yikes. Yeah, maybe could have made that decision before previews started. I'm just saying, David, I'm just saying. The musical should not be confused with Breakfast at Tiffany's, a play with music that premiered on Broadway in 2013 with Amelia Clark, Corey Michael Smith, and George Went. That production only ran for 38 performances, so I'm thinking we can put this particular piece of IP to bed. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, 70 Beautiful Skulls. Everyone ready? Then away we go. We have a winner this time around. Ooh, the 2018 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. Oh, la, la. It ran for 588 performances on Broadway. Oh, la, la. Do you know what it is? I bet some of you do. That's right. It's the band's visit. The band's visit will be the subject of our next main feed episode. But let's talk about Patreon for a second. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, one. 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. You can donate $1, $3, 5 or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday early access to all main feed episodes. You get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Thank you for donating at least $1 a month. Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marques, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get access to our series of bonus episodes covering the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid, live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sag Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, and Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. You also get Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, and M3, The Movie Musical Man. Oh, this is a great show that is right now releasing new episodes. We're releasing episodes right now on a monthly basis. Oh, it's a great series. It's all about trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Our theme for February, that episode is going to drop February 24th, the theme is the Apocryphal Bio Trilogy. These are biopics, musical biopics. We're going to be doing Star, The Greatest Showman, and Rocket Man. It's true. Now, what if you donate $3 a month? Well, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a special episode all about Season 1 of Julie and the Phantoms. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. You get Seasons 1 and 2, 24 episodes of All I Ask ask of you, a special advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You get access to our Broadway in Chicago review series and Shout About It, Volumes 1 and 2. Those are collections of 5678 coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes. Finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus The Snub Club Season 1. That's 12 episodes of a series for which we talk about Broadway musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. You also, as a $10 a month 
month patron, you now get access to exclusive announcements. Exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. We have randomly selected over 30 subjects. This is going to cover the next 30 episodes of the main feed. And $10 a month patrons know all about it. They know all the shows that we're going to be talking about. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's lovely. Don't you just love special access? Access! And of course, coming April 28th, our latest $10 a month series, a bi-weekly show known as Turn It Off, which is all about off-Broadway musicals. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We're looking to have 60 five-star reviews, because when we get to that point, I will record and release a special episode all about Disney's Zombies franchise. We currently have 36. We have so many more reviews to go. Please write a review via Apple Podcasts. You could be streaming the show, of course. You could be doing that through Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter, why not, at musicalmanpod. Email me, why not, at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Sydney emailed me. I answered her question. You should send me a question. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny in the booth. Oh, not the booth. Oh, for crying out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Patty. Thank you, Benny, for your enormous amount of work. The enormous amount of work you commit to this show week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Thank you, Alex Green, for our beautiful logo. And thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous music. Now, but you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night. should not be confused with Breakfast at Tiffany's, a play with music that premiered on Broadway in 2013 with Amelia Clark, Corey Michael Smith, and George Went. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Try the beef. <laughs>